Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. So we're back, winding down into, well, not even winding down. I mean, the pop culture is pretty massive around John Lennon. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've heard of him. A little anecdote (laughs) before we jump right in. So I don't know if I've talked about it before, but I had a practice husband before my current love of my life. Um. (laughs) And he happened to be born in another country that is not the United States. And he moved here when he was a teenager. And we met in college. And one time we were walking around somewhere. I don't know where. We were at like a big box store of some kind. And music came on. And um, it was the Beatles. I don't even remember what song, but some Beatles song. And um, he said to me, oh, this, this is nice. Like, I like this. This I think this band will do well or something like that. <laughs> and he was dead serious. He did not know. Either he didn't know about the Beatles at all or he knew about the Beatles but didn't know that that was a Beatles song and it was like a famous song and I was like, "Oh yeah, I think they will go far." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I never let him live it down and that's why we're divorced. So, there's my little story. The Beatles ended my first marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we haven't said it in a while, but, you know, we're pretty deep into our episode count at this point. Mm -hmm. And the Beatles has kind of been with us since episode one. Mm -hmm. Madame Tussauds Wax Museums Mm -hmm. and their wax figures being the cover of the Sgt. Pepper's album. Such a good callback, Andrew. Wow. I forgot that but I was remembering as you were talking yeah that's wild I'll never forget being scarred by that record cover as a child well your story scarred me because it's like creepy but after the fact which adds a layer of creepiness (laughs) (laughs) or something yeah I don't know I should we just sort of forego a bit of banter and jump into this since it's so pop culture heavy and often our banter is pretty (laughs) pop culture adjacent (laughs) i think so i think so okay so john lennon as you could probably guess is an interesting pop culture figure to break down Mm. so he'll always be a top member of the beatles which is its own pop culture behemoth while also being john lennon the individual Mm mm-hmm which I referred to as a pop culture juggernaut (laughs) in his own right. So I'm going to start with the Beatles. And sorry to extreme Beatles fans, this might be shorter than anyone could ever anticipate, but there's so much to talk about. Yeah. But as most folks know, the Beatles are widely regarded as the most influential band of all time and were integral to the development of the 1960s counterculture and popular music's recognition of it as an art form. Mm. So music historians wrote of the transformation in popular music styles that took place between this time period. They said that the Beatles' influence cannot be overstated, having, quote, revolutionized the sound, style, and attitude of popular music and opened rock and roll's doors to a tidal wave of British rock acts, end quote. Yeah. Wow, yeah. So the Beatles are the best-selling music act of all time, with an estimated sales of 600 million units worldwide. 
Wow. They hold the record for most number one albums on the UK chart with 15, most number one hits on the US Billboard Hot 100 with 20, and most singles sold in the UK, 21.9 million. Wow. They received accolades all over. Seven Grammys, four Brit Awards, an Academy Award for Best Original Song Score for the 1970 documentary film Let It Be. Mm. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988, and each principal member was inducted individually between 94 and 2015. Mm. In 2004 and 2011, the group topped Rolling Stone's list of the greatest artists in history, and Time Magazine named them among the 20th century's 100 most important people. Hmm. So can I interrupt here with just a little tangent? Yeah. What's your favorite Beatles album? I don't know that I'm capable. I I mean, the White Album, but like, what does that really mean? I find the Beatles to be like really incredible and groundbreaking and I think we ignore that a lot of their music is bad because (laughs) a lot of their music is exceptional. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I can't say that their discography does not contain any skips for me. (laughs) Well, I mean, who does though? That's that's like a terribly (laughs) impossible bar unless you're Shakira, but that's a total other. But there's... There's songs that I despise. <laughs> like? I Am the Eggman. Well. Cuckoo-ca-choo, cuckoo <laughs> uh, Not for me. Yeah. Mm, okay. Back to our story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and your, your favorite album? I mean, I'm a Revolver fan because Eleanor Rigby just captured my teen angst like angst slash geekness yeah i mean that says a lot about my my teenage years to know that that was like my jam in eighth grade that was one of the first ones i learned how to play oh interesting yeah because it's so dark and interesting (laughs) (laughs) and then michelle is the beatles right and not paul mccartney or is it hmm Michel, ma belle, sans yeah. les manques, ventre, bien ensemble, yeah. très bien ensemble. Yeah, you like that I one? I need you, I need you, I need you. I need to make you see. You're <laughs> oh, what me you done to me. <laughs> head tingles. I mean, my favorite all time, though, if I had to say just one a song, is Blackbird. Like, that to me is just chills like i don't even have to think of the music of it just thinking about it as a concept gives me chills uh blackbird is so good this is what i mean they have so many incredible songs it's easy to forget that there's a lot of songs that are not (laughs) uh (laughs) chart topping hits (laughs) there was something about girl as well Mm. that one was with me Mm. uh girl And then, of course, the movie Let It Be. Yeah. Oh, no, not the movie Let It Be. The movie Across the Universe. That Mm. weird, like, 2000s hit me right at adolescence to, like, pull in. It's, like, a retrospective of Beatles songs all put together telling this story of, like, 1960s counterculture. Oh, I've never seen that. I don't talk about it in here, so 
it's a great movie. I loved it. And like the gospel version of Let It Be during uh-huh. like the war scenes is incredibly impactful. Okay, that's going on my list. <laughs> okay, so jumping back in, former Rolling Stone associate editor Robert Greenfield compared the Beatles to Picasso saying, quote, Artists who broke through the constraints of their time period to come up with something that was unique and original. In the form of popular music, no one will ever be more revolutionary, more creative, and more distinctive. End quote. Hmm. Bold claims. Yes. And ignoring a lot of black musicians. That's what I was exactly. Of rock and roll and pop music. (laughs) I was exactly thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very white take. But they are in terms of 600 million albums. Like yeah. they capitalized off of the work of a lot of other people. Yes. Which doesn't make it the statement untrue while also not acknowledging. It's kind of like calling Elvis like the king of soul or whatever. When right. It's like, well, that was just black people music that right. was stolen and marketed and capitalized to white people. But right. the fact is the Beatles still changed the game right right yeah yeah so many artists have acknowledged the beatles influence and enjoyed chart success with covers of their songs on radio their arrival marked the beginning of a new era in 1968 the program director of new york's wabc radio station forbade his djs from playing any pre-beatles music marking the defining line of what would be considered oldies on american radio wow that's interesting. Well, especially now that the Beatles are oldies, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my music is... MC Hammer is an oldie. How is that? We've talked about it already in previous episodes, <laughs> but now that current radio songs are featuring, like, 2000s Fergie and Destiny's Child, it's like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it happens to us all, if we're lucky. Yeah. And then this statement goes against what my complaints have been, but I still stand by it. But they also did help redefine the album as something more than a few hits padded with filler. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that was kind of the model. Not to say that there aren't incredible albums, but that was kind of the capitalism side of the music industry was mm-hmm. like, okay, you got two hits on this. We're going to put 11 nonsense songs and these two hits are going to sell where... Granted, not every one of their songs is perfect, but they they have so many good to great songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that said, you compare it to somebody like a Dolly. It's like, well, they're not the only ones putting out full, or like Joni Mitchell. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Just like a completely different business model, really. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But they were also kind of on the forefront of music videos as well. Mm-hmm. They existed before, but like the popularization, the standardization of music videos are also entwined with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. The Shea Stadium show where they opened their 1965 North American tour attracted an estimated 55,600 people, the largest audience in concert history, Ugh. which itself has been described as a quote major breakthrough and a giant step toward reshaping the concert business Mm. end quote interesting yeah so hell even copying their clothing and especially their hairstyles which became a mark of rebellion had a global impact on fashion Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i could go on and on and on but i think this sets the scene for just how big the beatles legacy is and how much the beatles have shaped many facets of the world we live in Mm mm-hmm 
So moving to John as the individual. After his breakup with the Beatles, he went on to his solo career. His debut album, John Lennon slash Plastic Ono Band, which was he and Yoko, that was released in 1970. It received praise by many critics, but its highly personal lyrics and stark sound limited its commercial success. Mm-hmm. The album featured the song Mother, in which John confronted his feelings of childhood rejection. There was also sort of like the Bob Dylan-esque working class hero, which was an attack on the bourgeoisie system of society, Mm -hmm. which you talked about people feeling alienated by the lyrics, but it was like, you're still fucking peasants was one of the lyrics. Like it was really talking about the class systems in America, but Western society at large. Mm -hmm. But eager for major commercial success, he adopted a more accessible sound for his next album, Imagine, which Mm -hmm. was released in 71. Mm Mm-hmm. Critical commercial success peaked at number one in the UK and the US Billboard Top 200. It's considered one of his best solo albums, if not his best. Uh, In 2012, the album was voted 80th on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. It also became a posthumous hit worldwide after his death again Mm -hmm. in in 1980. The album re-entered the charts during 1981, peaking at three in Norway, five in the UK, 34 in Sweden, and 63 in the U.S. Mm. So, I mean, that's long for essentially a decade after its release to then resell. So, and that's the album, but looking at the title track, the extremely famous song, Mm -hmm. Imagine. It's the best-selling single of his solo career. Um, If you're not familiar, the lyrics encourage listeners to imagine a world of peace without materialism, without borders and nations, and... Another big piece is without religion, Mm. which, of course, I think this goes for most religions, but putting sort of the Christian lens on it, like, they don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think it was 20 years after this that Sinead O'Connor got canceled for tearing a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live, like, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 years before that was even more staunchly religious and respect authority and... Yeah. Yeah. They don't like that. So shortly before his death, John said that much of the song's lyrics and content came from Yoko. Mm. And in 2017, the process to give Yoko co-writing credit began, but it's still not confirmed. Really? Mm -hmm. I guess the legal and the royalties and what all that means is extremely complicated. But I mean, it's been 50 years. Yeah, but... (laughs) Jesus... People like that money. Figure it out, fuckers. So one of the chief song publishing groups, BMI, named Imagine one of the 100 most performed songs of the 20th century. Uh, In 1999, it was ranked number 30 on RIAA's list of the 365 songs of the century. Mm -hmm. It earned a Grammy Hall of Fame award. It was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. 2002 UK survey conducted by the Guinness World Records British Hit Singles book named it the second best-selling of all time, while Rolling Stones ranked it number three in their 2004 list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Mm. So, big-ass song. (laughs) (laughs) Since 2005, event organizers have played the song just before the New York Times Square ball drop in New York City. Imagine has sold more than 1.7 million copies just in the UK, Holy which is shit. a lot. 
Uh, more than 200 artists have performed or covered the song, including Madonna, Stevie Wonder, Joan Baez, Lady Gaga, Elton John, Diana Ross. You could go on forever. Wow. Um, after Imagine was featured in the 2012 Summer Olympics, the song re-entered the UK top 40, reaching number 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was presented as a theme in the opening ceremony of the 2022 Winter Olympics. But also in recent times, there was the now infamous 2020 COVID-19 lockdown video where Gal Gadot and a number of celebrities performed an online version of the song intended to raise morale in the face of the pandemic. How dare you? I had completely excised that (laughs) from my brain cells. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, the performance was widely ridiculed for being a tone-deaf message from a group of socialites and members of the international elite who were largely (laughs) unaffected by the pandemic singing to us from their mansions. (laughs) I mean, also organized by a person who served in... The Mossad. Like, she's on my boycott list. <laughs> she's a good Wonder Woman, not a good actress. <laughs> Those are two separate categories. But going back to 71, John and Yoko moved to New York in August of that year and immediately embraced U.S. radical left politics, as Kirsten mentioned last week. And again, Kirsten also mentioned their release of Happy Xmas War is Over. Uh, And that single came out December of that year. It was obviously a Vietnam protest song turned Christmas standard, uh, reached number four in the UK and has periodically reemerged in the UK singles chart, most notably after John's murder uh, when it peaked at number two. But this song has a life of its own. In 1985, Australian group The Incredible Penguins released a version of the song, which peaked at number 10 on the Australian singles chart. More recently, the song has gained a higher profile in the cultural mainstream due to the increasing proliferation of recordings by other artists. Mm -hmm. So among these, two have entered the Billboard charts, both of them in the same year, incidentally. Uh, The first was released in October 2006 by Canadian singer-songwriter and sad animal commercial queen, (laughs) Sarah McLachlan. She's Canadian? How did I not Mm -hmm. know that? (laughs) And that was on her beautiful album, Winter Song, Mm -hmm. which was the best-selling Christmas album of the year and a Grammy nominee. Yeah. The second was released that same year by American rock band The Fray, and it debuted at number 50 on the Hot 100 and number 41 on the Pop 100. Hmm. I don't know. I've ever heard that version, but I like The Fray. Some of the earliest of the other versions appear on holiday albums released by major pop singers, such as I Still Believe in Santa Claus by Andy Williams, The Christmas Album by Neil Diamond, and A Very Special Season by Diana Ross. Hmm. Most recently, in December of 2018, Miley Cyrus and Mark Ronson recorded a version of the song featuring Sean Lennon, and the three of them performed it on an episode of Saturday Night Live. Oh, interesting. I guess maybe not most recently, because then also John Legend recorded it in 2019, and that version reached number nine on the UK singles chart. I mean, it's a solid Christmas standard. I enjoy that song greatly. Yeah, from protest to Christmas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But back to John in 1972, he and Yoko released the album Sometime in New York City, again under the name Plastic Ono Band. And although the UK release managed a number 11, it was only 48 in the US. John was reportedly stunned by the failure, 
didn't record new music for almost a year. The new album received pretty bad reviews, scathing mm-hmm. critiques. The Rolling Stones, Stephen Holden wrote, the Lennons should be commended for their daring, but also called out the album as insipid artistic suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, the same article goes on to say, quote, except for John Sinclair, the songs are awful. The tunes are shallow and derivative and the words little more than sloppy nursery rhymes that patronize the issues and individuals they seek to exalt. Only a monomaniacal smugness could allow the Lennons to think that this witless doggerel wouldn't insult the intelligence and feelings of any audience, end quote. Savage. Savage. Could be truth to it. Could also be people who love war Mm. (laughs) reviewing albums. (laughs) Who's to say exactly where it falls? So like you said last week, uh, in 73, John and Yoko decide to separate. Mm -hmm. That same year, John released his album Mind Games. It reached 13 in the UK and 9 in the US where it was certified gold. The next year, he released the album Walls and Bridges. And this was an American number one album on both Billboard and Record World's chart including two hit singles, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, featuring Elton John and Number Nine Dream. Hmm. The first of these was Lennon's first number one hit in the U.S. as a solo artist, and his only solo chart-topping single in the U.S. or Britain during his lifetime. Oh, interesting. And then your little bit of trivia. (laughs) During the recording of Whatever Gets You Through the Night, Elton bet John that the song would be a number one hit. John didn't believe it, so he agreed to the bet and saying that if it hit number one, he would perform it live. So having lost the wager, John appeared at Elton's Madison Square Garden show on November 28th, performing Whatever Gets You Through the Night, as well as the Beatles hits I Saw Her Standing There and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And this Madison Square Garden show would be John's last major live performance. Wow. The album was also certified silver in the UK, gold in the US. Uh, Writing in the All Music Guide to Rock, William Ruhlman described Walls and Bridges as craftsman-like pop rock with some lovely album tracks. Uncut gave it four stars, asserted that his song with Elton remains one of John's best post-Beatles achievements. Mm -hmm. So... Things are going back up. John and Yoko reunite. Their son is born. Like you said, this is the quote from John announcing his formal break from music. Quote, We have basically decided without any great decision to be with our baby as much as we can until we feel we can take time off to indulge ourselves in creating things outside of the family. End quote. Hmm. During this break, he still created several series of drawings, drafted a book containing a mix of autobiographical material and what he termed mad stuff, all of which would eventually be published after his death. Mm -hmm. He returned to music in 1980 with he and Yoko's double album, Double Fantasy. Upon its release, the album stalled on the chart and received largely negative reviews from music critics, with many focusing on the album's idealization of John and Yoko's marriage, which... The public knew wasn't true. Mm -hmm. The drugs, the violence, the outburst, the partying. Mm -hmm. It was just, it just wasn't real. Mm -hmm. But following John's murder, just three weeks after its release, it became a worldwide commercial success, charting at number one in the US, UK, and many other countries. Mm. It went on to win the 1981 Grammy for Album of the Year at the 24th Annual Grammy Awards. Hmm. 
in the subsequent decades. But how many decades, people are still listening to it? True. But this kind of falls right into there. So as time has passed, the album has been viewed favorably. John's songs in particular as opposed to Yoko's songs. Mm-hmm. The album kind of goes like one for one, like mm-hmm. him, her, him, her. Mm-hmm. Recently in 2020, Rolling Stone included Double Fantasy in their 80 greatest albums of the 1980s. So not 500 greatest of all times, but still valuable in the 80s landscape. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like you said, John's murder shook the world. Per Yoko's wishes, on December 14th, millions of people around the world paused for that 10 minutes of silence. And like you said, including 10 minutes of radio silence in New York City radio stations. I mean, that is almost unbelievable. Can you imagine something like that happening now? No. And then very sadly, but to put into context what was happening publicly, at least three Beatles fans committed suicide after the murder, leading Yoko to make a public appeal asking mourners not to give in to despair. Mm. On January 18th, 1981, a full-page open letter from Yoko appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post titled Ingratitude, it expressed thanks to the millions of people who mourned John's loss and wanted to know how they could commemorate his life and help her and Sean. But obviously there was a profound effect in the music community as well. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan wrote and recorded the song Roll On John on his 2012 album Tempest, which explicitly references the assassination with the line, they shot him in the back and down he went. Mm-hmm. David Bowie, who befriended John while John co-wrote and performed on Bowie's U.S. number one hit, Fame, in 1975, performed a tribute to John in the final show of his Serious Moonlight tour in the Hong Kong Coliseum on December 8th of 1983, the third Mm. anniversary of his death. Mm. Bowie said he last saw John in Hong Kong and performed Lennon's song, Imagine. Mm. David Gilmore of Pink Floyd wrote and recorded the song Murder in response to Lennon's death, and that was released on his album About Face in 1984. George Harrison released a tribute song all those years ago in 1981 with Ringo and Paul. Elton John teamed up with his lyricist Bernie Taupin for the tribute Empty Garden, Hey Hey Johnny, and that appeared on his 1982 album Jump Up and peaked at number 13 on the U.S. singles chart. Oh, wow. Uh, When he performed the song at a sold-out concert in Madison Square Garden in 1982, he was joined on stage by Yoko and Sean. Mm, Wow. Paul McCartney released his tribute Here Today on the album Tug of War in 1982, Paul Simon's homage to John, the late great Johnny Ace, initially sings of the rhythm and blues singer Johnny Ace, who is said to have shot himself in 1954, then goes on to reference John Lennon as well as President John F. Kennedy, uh, who of course was assassinated in 1963, the year that Beatlemania began. Mm. The song also appears on Simon's Heart and Bones album from 83. Queen performed Imagine the night after Lennon's death at Wembley Arena in London. Freddie Mercury wrote Life is Real, Song for Lennon as a tribute to John, and that song appeared on Queen's album Hot Space in 1982. The Bellamy Brothers mentioned John's death in their 85 single Old Hippie. The Cranberries' 1996 album To the Faithful Departed includes a song about the murder, and that mm-hmm. song's I Just Shot John Lennon. Mm-hmm. 
a handful of films about the case. There's 2006, The Killing of John Lennon, and that focuses on Chapman's life up to the murder. Mm. 2007's Chapter 27 is a drama based on Jack Jones' book, Let Me Take You Down. Again, a portrayal of Chapman. Mm -hmm. And then in 2016, The Lennon Report focuses on attempts by doctors and nurses to save John's life. But when looking at books about this time period, most of them, I mean, there's straight out stories, but a lot of them go into the conspiracy theory mm-hmm. direction. So mm-hmm. CIA and FBI surveillance of John due to his left wing activism and the actions of Chapman during the murder or subsequent legal proceedings have led to conspiracy theories like we discussed last week. Mm-hmm. So Fenton Bresler, a lawyer and journalist, raised the idea of CIA involvement in the murder in his book, Who Killed John Lennon?, published in 1990. Chapman allegedly may have been brainwashed by the CIA, Mm. such as, like, the Manchurian candidate. Mm -hmm. Liverpool playwright Ian Carroll staged a drama, One Bad Thing, conveying the theory Chapman was manipulated by a rogue wing of the CIA, who wanted John off of the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 2004 book by Salvatore Estruccia argued that forensic evidence proves Chapman didn't commit the murder, which I was like, I don't believe that. Mm. If anything, it's like, why did he commit it? Right, right. But then a 2010 documentary, The Day John Lennon Died, suggests that Jose Perdomo, the doorman at the Dakota, was a Cuban exile with links to the CIA and the Bay of Pigs invasion. Mm. It could all just be a mentally unstable fan. Yeah, yeah. But knowing the track record, knowing the ones you mentioned last week about who we know had FBI cases, Martin Luther King Jr., Mm -hmm. like hopefully it's to say it was a different government than today's government, but that's probably optimism to the nth degree. But we know for a fact that the government in this time was tracking and killing people who were arguing for progressive change. Right, 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 totally. So, yeah. I don't know that I have my own theory of exactly what happened, just just saying that it's not impossible. Yeah, for sure. And again, I mean, it sounds kind of fanciful in some ways. Like, why would a government waste their time with a singer? But as you described, the outpouring of grief, someone who elicits a response like that when they die has a very huge hold on the cultural narrative and the public's imagination, which is a powerful thing. Well, and you said it last week. I mean, if there was a single person that could sway an election, I mean, John wasn't saying nothing when he said they were more popular than Jesus. Right, right, right. And I mean, now I think we take it as a truism that the cult of personality, celebrity is powerful. But I think that was still kind of a new concept at that time. I mean, he had a knack for putting his finger on a particular zeitgeist in a certain moment in time, for sure. Mm -hmm. So kind of finishing us out with John's legacy and remembrances. So Mm -hmm. every December 8th, ceremony is held in front of the Capitol Records building on Vine Street in Hollywood, California. People also light candles in front of Lennon's Hollywood Walk of Fame star on September 28th through 30th of 2007. There was the John Lennon Northern Lights Festival, which was attended by his half-sister, 
who read from his readings as well as her own books and a cousin. Mm. Yoko places a lit candle in the window of John's room in the Dakota every year on December the 8th. On March 24th, 2018, Paul McCartney participated in the March for Our Lives, a protest against gun violence, and he Mm. stated that he was doing that in John's memory as well. Mm-hmm. There's also permanent memorials. In 1985, New York City dedicated the area of Central Park where Lennon had frequently walked directly across from the Dakota as strawberry fields. In a symbolic show of unity, countries from around the world donated trees, and the city of Naples, Italy donated the Imagine Mosaic centerpiece that's in Central Park. Mm. On October 9th, 2007, Yoko dedicated a memorial called the Imagine Peace Tower on an island off the coast of Reykjavik in Iceland. Mm -hmm. Each year between October 9th and December 8th, it projects a vertical beam of light high into the sky in his memory. Oh, wow. It's really cool looking. Uh, I'll try to find a photo of that for social. Yeah. In 2009, the New York City Annex of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hosted a special John Lennon exhibit that includes many mementos and personal effects from his life, as well as the clothes he was wearing when he was murdered. Gross. Yeah. In 2018, Yoko created an artwork in John's memory titled Sky, and that's for the MTA Arts and Design. And so that artwork is installed during the renovation of the 72nd Street station of the New York City subway line Mm -hmm. outside of the Dakota. Mm. Mm. And it's hard to say what a John Lennon of 2022 would have looked like. But one thing is certain, he's clearly a part of the framework of Western pop culture and the world around us. His legacy is messy and sometimes dark and often bright and beautiful. And I felt like a great way to end this was with a quote from George Harrison. And he said, quote, John Lennon is a saint and he's heavy duty and he's great and I love him. But at the same time, he's such a bastard. But that's the great thing about him, you see? end quote Mm. wow so not so much of there's tons of books and movies about the murder even though those exist it's just like he is pop culture and his murder is a part of that yeah yeah and in some ways it's almost like by looking at the void you can see the impact you know and we talk Mm -hmm. a lot about squandered talent and the loss and what might have been and that feels slightly less with him just because he wasn't in his 20s and he had been so prolific up to the point of his death but you definitely when when you kind of like cross your eyes a little bit and look at all of it in that slightly fuzzy way there is a big void there and i don't know if he would be selling out stadiums to this day like paul mccartney But I do wonder about who he would have been in his activism if he would have turned like a lot of our old activists into like shitty 2022 activists, if Mm -hmm. he would have like continued well. I think about the songs and the collaborations he could have written with people. Mm -hmm. And maybe he would be touring, but it felt like his music was like Paul kept to the radio friendly Mm -hmm. hits and maybe John wouldn't have. But who knows? Well, you know, Paul has stated in many interviews that 
they all looked up to him. He was the oldest and they all felt rightly or wrongly he was the smartest. And I do think when you compare him to other activist musicians of the time, like a Dylan or a Neil Young, I don't want to say smarter, but he seems more like a thinker almost in some ways than even a musician, although he was a great musician. Um, and it would be interesting. And I think also, you know, we didn't even tap into the xenophobia around Yoko and how she was treated oh, yeah. by the media. And that's a whole other thing. But I do think that, you know, she was more avant-garde. And I think you could see in his work this kind of tension between the avant-garde direction she's kind of pulling him and the more commercial direction that he was coming from. And so it would be interesting to see where he landed there as he developed as an artist. And Yoko's got cool stuff. I mean, I participated in like one of her art installations in California, the Trees of Peace, where you put your wishes on there. Mm -hmm. And then I saw a whole Yoko exhibit in Reykjavik, Mm -hmm. where the peace tree had then moved there. And like looking through her art and pieces, it's I mean, she's such a really fascinating person. And of course, the xenophobia and misogyny of this woman ruined the Beatles and not that these adult men couldn't figure out their own band. Right. Right. And just that, you know, fame got to them and it got to them all in different ways. And it seems like in a lot of ways, it was the hardest for John coping with that, integrating that into who he was, all of that. So I think that would have happened with or without her. I kept thinking of Ellen DeGeneres, (laughs) like somebody who built their brand about being kind And then when, like, the reports come out that actually she's not kind and, like, her employees have a really difficult time and there's uh, real problems, HR and the industry. And then just thinking again about John and Yoko and, like, Mm -hmm. peace, love, happiness, but also, like, the violence and the drugs and the partying. And then, you know, they put out an album glamorizing their life, which the public knows isn't true. That's why I wonder, like, would John's legacy have continued in the same ways mm-hmm. Yeah. today? And, you know, we'll never know. Yeah. So interesting. Well, I'm what glad we did this one. It was fun to explore and visit slash revisit. Yeah, and I learned so many things. And again, I was alive during this time, but I learned a lot with this one. Yeah. Well, and listeners, we really hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you want to tell us your favorite and least favorite Beatles song, we're always open. <laughs> totally. And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. Imagine Boop. all the people. <laughs> head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. Boop.